If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these there lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up and take your bed and walk. And at last, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Good morning, Jubilee Church. Good to see you. You could say it's good to see you too. (laughs) Wow. Well, this is an amazing story, really. It's, uh, I've tried to think about a title because I was asked for a title. I'm not good at titles. I'm not very creative when it comes to titles. But I found that, too, that some people are amazing at titles and uh, the rest of it's not so good. I've never been good at titles and the rest of it's always been terrific. The sermon, that is. <laughs> I want to talk to you about uh, rediscovering your hope or reawakening your hope, or I guess I could say the title has something to do with about prayer, which is uh, the language of desire or hope, whatever you want to choose. This is an interesting story, and it's about a place uh, around a pool called Bethesda where uh, it was filled with invalids, and blind people, people very, very ill, uh, lame people. And they would gather around this pool because mysteriously at certain times, the water was, would be stirred up. And when they were stirred, the first one into the pool would be healed. So it's like there's a lot of hope. It's kind of like, uh, although certainly more serious is people that buy lottery tickets. There's a lot of hope. And uh, it can go a long time and nothing really happens. Anyway, this is what happens. People would be uh, gathered around that pool and nothing would happen. We all know what it is to have hopes that are not realized and to become really uh, disappointed. At times, disillusioned. We've had hopes about all kinds of things, uh, relationships or maybe even uh, answers to prayer we were looking for that somehow they didn't materialize, at least in the way that we uh, recognize them materializing. Years ago, there was a, a film uh, came out around Christmas time called uh, Christmas Vacation, starring Chevy Chase. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of that film? Oh, a number of you have. And uh, in this particular film, there, Chevy Chase played the character of a guy named Clark Griswold, and he was a guy who had all kinds of hopes for Christmas, from the house decorations to what it would look like with family. And uh, he had families like most of us have, 
fairly dysfunctional kind of people coming together. Uh, at least it wasn't boring. And the other thing he had really serious hope for was a bonus from his work, especially since he had invented some, something that he thought would capture quite a large bonus. He was so confident in his hope for this bonus that he had already pre-spent the money as a Christmas surprise for his family. And then only to discover that his boss decided to be the Christmas Grinch or Scrooge or whatever and was not going to provide any bonus that he had already spent. At that particular point in the film, he goes kind of ballistic. And we experience what it is firsthand to see what happens when disappointment comes to people who have had hope in something and didn't materialize, at least the way they had hoped it was. Well, this is kind of the story here. Here's a man who had been sick for 38 years. We don't know whether he had had an accident. We don't know how old he was. We don't even know if he was born that way. But 39 years, nearly four decades, and back in those days, which could be a huge portion of a person's life, could have been that most of his life is behind him. And so he was at the pool originally believing that when the waters were stirred, that he, he would jump in and get in. Somehow he could be healed. His Something had happened over the process of years. It's easy to get identified with something about us that's really not true of us, but it merges together. He's, so we use terms like, well, that's the blind guy that's on this corner. That's the paralyzed guy that sits at this gate. And he, so something about his illness and him kind of merged into one sort of identity. That's who he was. I don't know what brought him back to this pool of Bethesda. I mean, he'd been there a long time, the Bible says, and nothing seems to be happening for him. Did he come out of continued hope and endurance of hope? Or had it just become habit? Now, I think we have some hints whenever we look at the scripture reading this morning. Did, because he did not evidently, he wasn't able to maintain hope. Now, most of us in this room could understand that. If you'd been sick for that long, a long, long time, and you've come to this pool and nothing is happening, you can understand the loss of hope and the difficulty in trying to maintain it. Things did not change for him over a length of time. Some of us in this room are afraid to hope because we've had too many disappointments. We've hoped for things and they've not happened. I prayed for a man and he confessed to me that he tried not to expect too much. He found it difficult to hope and receive promise for fear of disappointment because disappointment had been far too painful for him. And I've prayed for things that I've hoped for. They hadn't materialized. At least they haven't materialized in a way that I've recognized them. And I may find out on the other side of the grave in eternity that God really did do something, but he did it differently than what I had imagined it to be. John Eldridge said, we cannot live without yearning, and yet yearning sets us up for disappointment. We all know what it is to be disappointed. Whether from children right straight through to old age, you know, I've seen many kids in Walmart disappointed and some that should have been. Anyway, we, we, we can have a hope that leads to disappointment. Possibly all of you have 
a hope, a desire, or a dream. But now you've wondered, I don't know that this is ever going to happen. Prayers that have not been answered. Here's the thing oftentimes. We pray in a certain way, and we don't realize that we're actually playing God because we tell God, we, this is what we need you to do, Lord. Oh, Lord, listen to my prayer. I need this and this, and I need it in this way. And if we could just have it by this time. That's what, in other words, you, you iron out all the details for God. And what it really ends up being is you are actually God yourself. You're playing God. You're, you're telling God how to do his job rather than just leaving it to him. And then therefore, there's no reason we would not recognize the answer if they did come. Uh, somehow God labors under the assumption that he still thinks he's God and you're not. And... Uh, but prayers are not answered. Expectations or hope are not realized. Do you want? Yes, interesting statement. Do you want to be healed? I, it, it, it's a question that requires a bit of reflection. Jesus is trying to get this guy to think through some things because I think it's evident that he's lost his hope. It's evident by his answer. And Jesus is somehow trying to reconnect him with what brought him to this pool in the first place, maybe friends of this crippled man brought him day after day. I don't know, maybe he had to hire someone. But Jesus' question is one that needs an answer. Do you want to get well? What do you want? What have you hoped for? What have you prayed for? I'm intrigued by those words. Do you want? Do you desire? Is Jesus really interested in your wants and in your desires? Think about it. Let's say Jesus comes to you today in this very moment, stands before you and says, what do you want? Do you want? It's an amazing thing that God would actually propose a question like that. But what it is, actually, it's an invitation to us to make our request known unto God. He invites us into his world. Now, the crippled man originally come to this pool of Bethesda, because he wanted to get well. And he had been ill for 38 years. He wanted to be well. And imagine what he thought when this question was being asked. Imagine if there are other people around about listening to the question. They might have thought it's fairly cruel. This guy has been crippled for 38 years. And for you to, and he's at this pool where people get healed. And it would seem like kind of a, uh, not a politically correct question. <laughs> Do you want to be well. But it seems impossible because he's wanted for a long time and nothing's happened. In fact, it seems like nothing is going to happen, especially he's getting up there in years. It's been nearly four decades. Been there a long time. But Jesus' question was for the purpose of taking him back to an original hope that evidently had died and waned. And how many of us over a process of time that have wanted something, prayed about something, even believed we've had a promise from God about something, but it hasn't happened. And after a while, we kind of give up on it. It kind of goes dormant. That hope goes dormant. And it goes to sleep on us, as it were. It takes him back. What do you really want? When did hope become disappointment for him? I don't know. But it's interesting, his answer. When Jesus said, do you want to be healed? This is what he said. I have no one to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred up, before I can get there, 
Basically, somebody else beats me to it. Jesus was trying to point him back in the direction of his original desire. Past his disappointment, he wanted to reawaken a dormant desire in him because his desire is where we all must go if we're going to meet God. It's interesting. I think in Jesus, Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't see the Father doing, and he didn't say anything. He didn't hear the Father saying Jesus knew he was going to heal this guy. He had a surprise package for him before the guy realized it was going to happen. And he meets with that guy and he's asking him this question. But this is the, he's inviting him to make his request known. And this is the answer that he gets. You see, God always responds to passion and desire. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he hears that voice out of a multitude of other voices. See, passivity is an enemy. It's a statement of fear and doubt and non-belief. God's looking to reactivate us, to not be afraid, to ask him for big things. It's not normal for a Christian life to kill your desires, your wants. He's asking for you to make them known to him. In fact, it's the religious that want to tie. You know, the word religion actually means to tie back. It's the Pharisees that were legalists who, who wanted us to believe that desire is bad, but you don't see that in the Bible. For instance, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, he says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who doesn't have any money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Come on, come on. Why do you spend money for that which does not Bread or not, or labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen to me diligently. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. He's saying, Come on, you can fill yourself with stuff that's never going to satisfy you. But I want you to have a passion and desire for that which can bring fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. It's an invitation. Just like Jesus said, What do you want? It's an invitation. But people, when you've been disappointed a lot, you're afraid to have hope. You're afraid to have desire. Proverbs thirteen twelve tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I've been disappointed so many times, we'd say to ourselves, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's too painful to hope for things or want something, and it's just not happening. We're afraid of desire, and it leads to disappointment. It's a dilemma for us. It causes us to be afraid, and, and we must have a life, however, that connects us with God, and it's our passion and desire that connects us with Him. God-given desires do not disappoint. Now, where do you start with all this? Nothing of human greatness is ever accomplished without desire. God hears the desire In the multitude of people, he will hear that voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. Life is more than living. It's more than dying. It's more than just ticking over, ticking the boxes. It's more than just making it through the day. It's more than just trying to get through another day without God-given dreams and hopes and letting them lie dormant. That leads to apathy. You see, one of the things that I would never want to be a part of is a church that's apathetic. Frankly, I don't care to run with apathetic people. Doesn't mean I won't love you. 
Doesn't mean I wouldn't spend some time with you. But I want people that have hope and passion and desire, even if it's a bit extreme at times. I'm not bothered by that. It's kind of like the fifth grade teacher who threw the students' papers down and said, every one of you flucked. You just, what's your, this is, your, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're apathetic. That's your problem. One of the kids in the back said, the other kid sitting beside him and says, apathy, what's that? And the kid next to him said, who cares? <laughs> when your dreams, when your dreams aren't happening, we can get to the place we just don't care anymore. You see, the Bible doesn't condemn desire. It just condemns the misuse of it when it's, when it's selfishly intended. Jesus lived a life of passion, and he's invited us to come to him, that he gives us a life of passion. He gives us a life of abundant joy. Now, that's the kind of people I want to run around with, people who are experiencing a fullness of life that's overflowing because of the grace of Jesus in their lives. Jesus doesn't want us to settle. He wants us to be a people who are overflowing with desires that bless and honor him. You just can't fill it with illegal stuff, that's all. Now, in this room, everyone in this room has something in common. And it's that you've been disappointed. And some of us have been very disappointed. Relationships have not worked out for us. And some of us are disappointed that people have violated trust. And we've said to ourselves, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to trust them again. And some of us in this room have prayed about things. And we've asked God for things. And they've just not happened. They haven't materialized. And the disappointment can be so painful that what you actually do is pull back from God and you pull back from hoping because somehow it's just too painful to have hope again or to trust again or to believe that somehow your dreams and desires will ever come to pass. For some of us, it's been a long time we've been at that pool, and it's not happened for us. Jesus wants to change that for you today. He wants to speak to you today. He wants, he wants to reawaken a desire and a passion in you again. He wants to stimulate hope in you again, just when it seems like it's never going to happen. Imagine if you were this paralytic man, this invalid. It just seemed like it's never going to happen. Standing before him in a couple of seconds, he's going to be up, and he's going to be walking, and he's going to be healed. God had that for him. And I've seen times whenever the situation was the most hopeless to my surprise, God broke in and he did something. See, God has not forgotten us. It's very important. We're important to him. The dreams he's put in our hearts is important to him. 
the wants that he's put in us, it's important to him. It's not about expressing some selfish desire for something just for yourself. It's something that God has stimulated in your own heart. And this thing seems like there's so much against us. There's so some in this room that you've dealt with habits that you've wanted to break, sinful issues that seem to be reoccurring. And you've asked God, take this away from me. Help me. It seems like reoccurring things come. They come. And eventually you end up losing hope and you think, well, I guess it's just the way it is. I guess it's just the way I am. And God wants to say to you today, it doesn't have to be that way. I think today he wants to come to you and stimulate faith in you again. He wants to reawaken a hope in you again. He wants to invite you to make your request known to him again. You see, one of the ways that you know, I'm going to give you a test. Have you let desire, your wants, have you let it fade because of previous disappointment and expectations not realized? Well, let me help you here. Because one of the ways that we know whether it's truly faded in our life, it's a, it's a test that's absolute. Are you ready? Here's how you know. Prayer is always the result or the language of desire. Prayer. Now, let me go into this a bit. Friday night, as Greg has announced, and your enthusiasm expressed, Friday night is prayer night for Jubilee Church. Friday night is the night when we gather, and as a church, we express our desire to God. When we don't have interest to pray together, you know what it's a statement of? It's a statement that we don't have desire anymore, that we've kind of given up, that prayer really works. It's because prayer is always the response of faith. We believe God is interested in our desires, and he wants to prosper his cause through us. The question is, what do you want? It's an invitation from God to make our request known to God. And when we gather Friday night, we're responding to an invitation from God. It's like Jesus saying, do you want to be well? Jesus is saying, what do you want? And we gather as an acknowledgement of faith that God hears. And he does answer prayer. It's a response of faith. And a church that doesn't pray has ceased to want. It's given up on wanting. It's, it's ceased to want anything from God. It's ceased to believe. When the prayer meeting wanes, then I'm really concerned because it means we've ceased to want anything from God. No vision or purpose or real direction. It's living in the realm of practical possibility. I find that boring. If, if this church is only pulling off stuff of what any other group could pull off without Jesus, then it ceases to be a church. What makes us unique is the presence of God, our confidence in him. Our hope is in something greater than what we can produce with our own effort and ingenuity. And so we come to pray. That's why we pray. A praying church has embraced the impossible and living in the realm of the supernatural. And it's, we're expressing our faith in a God who not only hears us, but he does miracles. And he's present and he's active and hearing and making known to us his will and he's stimulating our desires. There's an interesting story uh, in First Chronicles about a guy named Jabez. And it's First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. And it goes like this. 
Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not hurt me. And God granted him his request. It's a prayer that describes uh, desire and wants. God wants us to do that. He's, 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 he's pretty responsive to passionate hearts that believe he can do anything and willing to express that to him. It's a channeling of our desires into God's desires. And the Bible said, God granted him his request. Lord, bless me, he says. Now, when I first read that years ago, I thought, well, that's a selfish prayer. Lord, bless me. Enlarge my borders. It sounds selfish. But as I've examined it closely, I've come to understand it. No, it's not selfish. It means, Lord, I desire so much of you what only you can provide, and you only provide good things and things that won't hurt me. You won't, you won't respond to my selfishness and give me something that enhances my selfishness and hurts me. I want to make an impact for you, O oh Lord. So enlarge our territories. We want to be enlarged in order to make an impact. Don't you want to make an impact? Don't you want to make an impact on your family or your friends or neighbors or workmates or people you come across? You want to make it? Yeah, we want. Lord, today, bless me when I leave my house and whoever I meet, Lord, may I make an impact and have an influence. I want this for Jubilee Church. For you as individuals, for us as a community. I want to see Jubilee Church enlarged and be blessed. You see, one of the worst things that can ever happen to a church is that you're ignored or unknown. I want Jubilee to affect the city. I want Jubilee to start some more churches. I want Jubilee to have more locations. Why? We're not building a personal kingdom here. For the glory of God, I want to see lives changed. I want to see people's broken from addiction, families restored, children come to know Jesus, and I want to see people saying, there's room at the table for me to serve in this church and to be trained and to be a part of the mission that God's called us to be a part of. I want people to meet God when they meet us. Have you ever? Years ago, men's cologne was more popular than it is today. But years ago, I remember... Some guys put on so much cologne that they announced their presence before they physically came through the door, you know. <laughs> kind of overwhelming. Guess what? I want that for you. I want the presence of God to be so evident in your life, the sweetness of your presence, the attitude, the glory of God being upon you in such a way that when people meet you, they're meeting Jesus. I want that. I want to see you prosper in a ministry that God's called us all to. It's not just a few. He's called us all to. I want to see you do well. So that prayer for uh, enlargement is a great prayer. When we come Friday night, let's pray for that. God, enlarge us, please. Enlarge my influence. Enlarge Jubilee, oh God. I want that. I want you to spiritually prosper and I want your 
children and family to come to know Jesus. And I want you to find fulfillment in God's purpose. But then he says, but keep me from harm. I, I don't want your blessing to be so much that somehow in such a way that I take it personally as that somehow I'm great. No, no, keep me from harm, but bless us, bless us. I don't want anything to hurt you or me. I've got a dream and a desire about you at Jubilee Church. I pray these things to God. And sometimes I've prayed for us. I know they're not totally righteous prayers. Maybe they're tainted a bit with my own flesh and desires. Well, God's able to somehow dissect that and sanctify them and pour them back into my heart. Jesus sanctified the prayer of this afflicted man. He didn't pray a very good prayer. Let's face it. Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he said this. This is his prayer back to Jesus. I have no one to put me in the water. Now, that's not a very faithful prayer. Uh, He said, I can't make it happen, so it ain't going to happen. That was his prayer. And Jesus said, arise and walk. Isn't that amazing? The marvelous grace and mercy of God that even when you don't pray right, He can see past that and sanctify your prayers and still do something amazing. He cleanses my desires. I love that. Keep thirsty. Keep desiring. Let's not be a people that settle and become apathetic. I give my desires to God, and he puts them back in my heart the way things need to happen. There's some things I need to let disappear, and I do. There are things I'm holding on to, promises of God. And I want to see us all participate in what God wants to do in the future. Everyone in this room has asked God for something that didn't happen. Uh, I've been on this earth for several decades now. And uh, I've asked God for some things real important to me that haven't happened. I I prayed for certain members of my family. Linda and I have prayed and not, not happened. And I feel like I'm living with promises that God gave me way back when. And we've prayed these promises and they haven't happened. And there have been periods of time where we just kind of went into ticking over mode because it's painful to have unrealized hopes. And like this man, it can look like there's no progress being made. Last week, I was talking to Linda, and I said, you know, we could die. We're all going to die, by the way. (laughs) We could die before these prayers are answered. But guess what? Our prayers never die. I said, we may not see We could. I'm not using this as an excuse to give up hope at all, but it's rekindling our hope. We may not see 
the realization of certain things, at least in the way we find recognizable, this side of eternity. But when I read Romans 8, our prayers never die. That's a whole other story. Rather, Revelation 8, our prayers never die. Can I just say to you, if God's given you promises, don't give up. So guess what we did? We threw another log on the fire and we rekindled our hopes and the promises that God's made to us. Will you do the same? You got certain things that haven't happened you prayed for? A little disappointment that hasn't. Honestly, if we admit it, we're disappointed in God. Will you throw another log on the fire today and realize that Jesus stands before you and he says, come on now. I know it's been a long time. But what do you want? He wants you to go back to that original hope that you had. Brian sent an email out to all the leaders this week, and I'll give you a heads up breaking news, and he'll talk about it next week in detail. And he's, and he's, he's wanting us to engage in a season of prayer in January, January 8th through 29th, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And he's going to explain to us how all that works. But in one of the statements in his email, he said, we need, I love that, we need a significant season of prayer and fasting. And it's pretty exciting. We're going to start the year that way. Isn't that amazing? 21 days, prayer and fasting, and we will reconnect with God. This church is going to be a different church after that. We're going to reconnect with God. We're going to hear what he may say. And we're going to reconnect with God-given desires in those 21 days. What do you want? That's what Jesus says. Well, we're going, we're going to speak to him what we want because he's going to speak to us what to ask him for. The language of desire is prayer. And this is how you know whether your passion, your desire, your want has died and gone dormant in your life is you don't pray about it anymore. But when you pray, that's the language of faith. It's the language of desire. It's, it says, I won't settle. I want what only God can do. Amen? Why don't you stand up?